am so excited. I am so thankful to the Lord. This past weekend has been absolutely, I mean, God brought heaven down. We've been in the Chillicothe Women's Prison, and they had a, let me give you a little history here so you'll know why I'm so excited. They had, we did a Friday and a Saturday until 8 o'clock at night, and they had a schedule. And I mean, the schedule was like from, this is just an example, from like 8 to 8.15, we have prayer. From 8.15 to 8.30, the women, can, we stand up here in a line, there was like 20 of us, and we stand up here and you can come for prayer. At 8.30, so-and-so speaks. At 8.45, so-and-so speaks. I mean, it, it, was, it was, that's the way it went. So there was no time for, I mean, God to really work, I guess, if, you know. And so, anyway, on Saturday, 2 o'clock was my time. And you don't deviate from this little schedule. They already told us that. Of course, I've been in trouble all my life. So anyway, they, they tell you not to deviate from this. So I get up there at 2 o'clock, and, and uh, of course, I've been in and jail, in and out of jail, and in and out of prison all my life, so that was just like going home to me. And uh, so anyway, my testimony, I mean, identifies with everybody there. And I say some things there that I wouldn't say in the church because they identify with it. Well, anyway, while I'm up there doing all of this, it's like God is telling me in my ear, I want you to give an invitation. And I'm up there fighting with God. God, I can't do that. They won't, they'll, they'll put us out of here. And God's just saying, you just do what I tell you to do. And I'm still just fighting with God. So when I'm through with my testimony, I said, okay, I'm going to tell you all something. I'm going to do something that probably I'm going to be in trouble for. And, of course, all the convicts started laughing and clapping. They thought, that's wonderful. I'm going to do something I'm not supposed to do. And so anyway, I said, now, we have prayer time like Friday and Saturday we have prayer time. We tell you when it's time for prayer time. This is not prayer time. Do not come up here for prayer. If you want prayer, there's going to be an, a, a time for it, but it's not now. So don't get up here and come for prayer. But if you've never accepted Jesus into your life, you've never had a time when you've invited him to, into your heart and life, and you want to go to heaven, get up out of that chair right now. Don't hesitate. Don't meditate. Get up right now and you come up here okay are you ready 55 women came forward and got saved and so the whole time I'm thinking Lord I did what you told me to do so don't get us kicked out of here <laughs> but it was absolutely I'm telling you I am on air and so it, it was just I mean God just brought heaven down. It was absolutely awesome. And so there was like three ladies that were really kind of in charge. And so every now and then I'd give them a look to see if they were going. Uh, but when it was over, I said, guys, I mean, I'm sorry. I said, God just told me to do that. And they said, Lord of mercy, why would you be sorry? <laughs> so anyway, it was just awesome. So I mean, I just, I can't get over it and I hope I never do. When I accepted the Lord into my life, I used to talk about my past a lot. Then as I grew in the Lord, I found myself talking less and less about my past. Now about the only time Richard and I talk about our past is if we're sharing Jesus with someone. We are by no means proud of our past, but we are proud of the fact that Jesus loved us, saved us, and changed us. Now I have a pretty, if you spend any time at all around me, you'll know i got a got a pretty outgoing personality. Richard calls it bossy, I call it outgoing. But there's some, something about getting up here in front of people. I get cotton in my mouth. My throat goes dry. My mind goes blank. And I asked Richard, I said, don't you ever get nervous whenever you get up to preach? He said he just gets nervous if nobody's asking him to preach. <laughs> so you just pray for me as I'm sharing my testimony. I left home whenever I was about 13, 14 years old. I'd been sneaking out at night, running around with a group of girls that were older than me, wiser than me, and it didn't take me very long to figure out the tricks of the trade. I robbed drunk men on bar stools. I did shoplifting. I stole cars. I cashed United States Postal money orders. Just about whatever the need called for to make the money. That's just about what I did. I probably was one of the youngest people to ever go to the Tulsa County Jail. I started going when I was 14. I went in for fighting. I went in for drunk, for drunk and fighting. 
That, you know what, jail was not a deterrent for me. I had no fear of jail whatsoever because I usually knew everybody that was in there, so it was just like old home week. Hey, what's up? What's going on? Well, I started to say, you know what the deal is, but most of y'all have never been in jail unless you went to visit somebody. But anyway, so I knew everybody in there, so it was just not a deterrent for me. So my life kind of rocked on like that for a while, and I, the, the criminal element in Tulsa kind of all hangs out together. You know, we had friends that owned the bars and the nightclubs, and that's where we would all go is where our friends owned the places. So I kind of hung out there for several years just on and on, just hanging out, just making a living. Well, a group of people started coming into this bar where we hung out at most of the time. They drove Lincolns, they drove Cadillacs, the women had on diamonds in their ears, diamonds on their fingers, and you knew by looking at them that they were, had on the best that money could buy. Now, I did okay. I made a living, and I had a little money to spend, and I was doing okay, but I knew in my mind I did not have the things that they had, and my eyes bugged out to that. That is what I wanted. Now, I had no clue what they were into, but in Tulsa, you're either known as, everybody knew me, you were either known as good people or bad people, which basically just meant you were not a police snitch. So people knew that I was not. So I told this guy, I said, hey, I don't know what these people are doing, but you go over there and talk to them and tell somebody I want to talk to them. Well, you know the old story, misery loves company. So it wasn't long till a guy came over and talked to me and told me what they were into, and I said, hey, fine. So I joined up with them. Where most people carry, you know, if I walked up to you and said, you got any money, you might have 10, 20, 30 bucks in your pocket. I had four and five, six thousand dollars in my pocket at all times. When I partied down, everybody partied down. I had a truck full of money. But what I failed to tell you is all counterfeit. We had our, made our counterfeit plates. They came out of McAllister, Oklahoma State Penitentiary. And, uh, so we made it, we passed it. My, I had one crime partner. All the years I was in criminal activity, I had one crime partner. We went all over the United States transporting counterfeit money to a place where we got the real stuff. And so that was kind of my lifestyle for a while, and I had everything I thought my heart desired. Well, it wasn't long till I got busted. Federal judge saw fit to send me to a Federal Institution in Alderson, West Virginia. And, buddy, that is in nowhere's land, if you know anything about West Virginia. That is mountains. You can't even, you don't even want to escape from that prison because there's nothing but mountains. Uh, but anyway, the first time I went, I served six months. I was sure if I could ever get out of there, I would never do anything wrong again. Served my six months, got out, went back home. During my years of criminal activity, I had two little girls. My mom and dad pretty much came to the hospital, picked them up, took them home. I was way too busy partying and having a good time to take care of kids. So anyway, when I got home, the, when I went home the first time, and of course I went to my mom and dad's, and for about a week I stayed home. It was just pretty good to be at home, walk out in the yard, and, and go to the icebox and get a Pepsi when you wanted one, and just nobody telling you what to do and on your back watching you every minute. And so after about a week, my friends heard I was back in town. Wasn't long till I was back out on the streets again. Wasn't long till I got busted again. This time, the judge saw fit, saw fit to send me back to Alderson, West Virginia. This time I served 27 months. My mom and dad was poor. They couldn't bring my kids to see me. But they would let you call home once a month for five minutes. When your time was up, if you didn't hang up, they would hang up for you. Well, my whole five minutes was spent with my kids crying when they heard my voice. I was cold and hard when I went in. I was cold and harder whenever I came out. Never been a prejudiced person. I just always hated everybody. So when I came out, well, one of the things that sticks in my mind while I was in Alderson, you know, especially you, John Denver, you remember John Denver, came out with a song called West Virginia, Mountain Mama, Country Road, Take Me Home. Every time I hear that song, I want to throw up. <laughs> well, anyway, went back home the second time, went back to my mom and dad's, back where my kids were, and as before, no power in my life. So naturally, I was back out on the streets again with all of my buddies. Well, 
I didn't get in any more trouble for a while. Well, I didn't get in any more trouble at all again. Uh, but um, I, I went to work in a bar, and I bought a house about oh, two or three miles from my mom and dad. And my youngest daughter moved in with me at that time and lived on a cul-de-sac. You only had one way out. And you could just get up any morning. There was pistol fights in my house. I mean, there was holes all in my house where we'd shot guns all up in there. I had beer cans, whiskey bottles out in the front yard. It was just a never-ending thing. Needless to say, didn't too many of the neighbors invite us over for dinner. Well, I bought a little poodle. Started walking my little dog. And lady on the corner, she kind of started coming out to the street, and she kind of started witnessing to me and asked me if I ever had any religious background and, and invited me to come to her church. And so I'd just stand there with my head down waiting on her to get through so I could go on. And it's like every day here came this woman out to the street telling me about Jesus and inviting me to come to church. Well, when you were living the lifestyle that I was living, last thing you wanted to hear about was Jesus. So it got to where I'd look out to my window to see if she was uh, in her yard, and if she wasn't, I'd pick up my little dog and off we'd go walking. Well, about the time I'd get to her driveway, I would think to myself, man, I've escaped this witch today. And about the time that thought went through my head, out that door she came, telling me about Jesus and wanting me to come to church. Well, I just got to thinking, if I start going to church, my I had no intentions of Jesus anywhere. But I thought, well, if I start going to church, my family will follow suit. Just like in the fairy tales, everything will end up wonderful. I started going to church. I went to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night. I was more faithful than some of your people here. Um, uh, but anyway, I went every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I, I mean, I, I, just, I just went. It wasn't, I, I, don't feel, I don't feel like the Holy Spirit was calling me. I just feel like it was a Phyllis thing. I just thought that's where I ought to go. might have been the Holy Spirit, but right now I'm not sure. But anyway... Every time that the preacher would give the invitation, I'd hold on to the back of the pew. I did not want to go down and give my life to the Lord. Somewhere along the way, I had this idea that once you give your life to the Lord, there's no more laughing, there's no more fun. You just get in a rocking chair and sit there and rock till you die and go wherever it is that you're going to go. And I didn't want any part of that. On June 6, 1981, I could not wait for the preacher to give the invitation. When he gave the invitation, I was the first person out. I could not wait to give my life to the Lord. Now, for the first year that I was a Christian, if you were not walking and talking Jesus, you were not talking to me. I lived and breathed. Jesus. I sat on the front row every Sunday morning. We went through this thing called Survival Kit for New Christians. I wanted somebody to get saved so I could take them through there. I went through Evangelism Explosion. I went through Master Life. Our preacher put together what we just called the Black Notebook. It was discipleship-making material. I went through that. Whatever they had to offer, I went through there. I went to the cleaners telling people about Jesus. They hated to see me coming. I went to the grocery store stopping up lines telling people about Jesus. And whenever I went to get gas, I didn't go with that self-serve. I went to where that guy had to put gas in my car, and he couldn't get away from me while I was telling him about Jesus. After I ran out of people to witness to, I just wanted to tell somebody about Jesus. I led my little dog to the Lord several times. <laughs> After a period of time... Satan become to come in, began to come in and rob me of some of the joy and victory that I had known. I didn't go back out into the world, but I, I became a little bitter at the Lord because I still had all of my things. I began to have to lose them to make a house payment. Lost my cars. I say, this is kind of funny now. It wasn't then. I went from, because I had too much pride, I went from Lincolns and Cadillacs to a Pinto station wagon. I didn't even want to see anybody. Uh, and then I had diamonds, still had all my diamonds. I began to have to start selling those in order to make a house payment. And I still had closets full of clothes that still has price tags on them. I began to have to start selling those in order to make a house payment. Well, when all of my things were gone, I was really bitter at the Lord. But you know what? I can see now that the Lord had to rid me of all of that in order to take me a step higher. And today I'm thankful that he did. Well, after a period of time, 
The Lord opened up the door in my church for me to become pastor's secretary. <laughs> Is that just God? Uh, for me to become the pastor's secretary. Well, the lady that I was telling you about, before I ever went to her church, she had told me, she said, hey, I just really like for you, there's a revival going on over here, and I'd just really like for you to go with me to hear this guy. I think you'd really like him. She said, he's a fiery redhead. He's been in prison. I think you'd really like him. I'm going, oh, Lord. I said, okay, I'll go. So I went. Well, just let me tell you right now, I thought he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And, 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 and at this point, I was not a Christian. No, I was not when I first went to see you. I was not a Christian yet. But I just thought he was pretty awesome. I said, man, I need to hook up with this guy. I'm, a, I'm not even a Christian. He's a preacher, and I'm wanting to hook up with him. And so anyway, after I became pastor secretary, guess who was the first person that they had in to do a revival? Well, everybody knew that Richard and I had our, our personalities just clicked, and so I carried him around to, uh, for meals and anything he needed to do. I took him around. He came to the office and uh, in the daytime, and I did some typing for him, did copying for him. And I mean, we just hit, just hit it off. And so revival was over on Thursday night. Richard left, and I just thought to myself, man, I just really like Richard. I just will probably never see him again. Well, on Friday morning, the telephone rang. It was Richard. He said, I just haven't slept a wink all night. I just wonder if you would be interested in dating. I said, listen, buddy, I am 45 years old, would not be interested in dating, but do you want to get married? There are just some things that you can say in prison that you can't say in the church. But we got married shortly after that. And you know what? But, but here's the thing about that. I knew Richard was my guy. I knew he was my I had no doubt. I knew he was my guy. Even whenever he left, I knew he was my guy. I didn't know how God was going to work it out, but I knew he was my guy. So when God has told you that, you're 45 years old, get it on which we got married shortly after that, and I've traveled with Richard every step of the way, going into the men's prison, the women's prison, going into the churches, doing revivals, and in every prison we go to, every prison we go to, I don't think we've had a time that's failed, people will come up to this, the, in, the inmates will come up to us and say, how did you and Richard stay out of prison? How have you stayed out all these years? And this is what I tell everybody. It's a short little sentence. Jesus. Yeah. Not Jesus and Jesus yeah. is how we have stayed out of prison. And that's what I tell them. Yeah. Now, the best things in my life, the best times in my life have been since I have known the Lord. And before you become a Christian, you don't want anything to do with the Lord or Christianity or the church people or anything like that. But after I got saved... I could not believe that I spent 45 years out on the streets being a crazy person. But the two little girls I was telling you about, we had no relationship whatsoever. They were afraid of me. They just did what I said because they were afraid of me. After I got saved, led both of my girls to the Lord, both of my girls are Sunday school teachers today. Amen. This is one of my favorite scriptures and I'll tell you why. Proverbs 11.30 The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. He that winneth souls is wise. Want to be wise? There you have it. What a testimony, huh? God can, you know, all of us have a testimony. You know, we're trophies of God's grace. And you might say, boy, wow, uh, I don't have a testimony like that. Be glad. See, God saved you from a life of sin and degradation, okay? And he saved us out of it, okay? Richard, excuse me. Yes. I think he did 
Yeah, uh-huh, they were nightclub singers, yeah. Yeah, a lot of, lot of singers in church come from the nightclubs, you know. They sing a new tune, amen. Uh, but uh, I wish I could say, like many of you, that I was in church nine months before I was born. That would be so cool to say my grandma and grandpa were saved, and church people and praying people. My mom and dad were saved, you know, uh, church people. Uh, but that wasn't the case. I come from total dysfunction. I come from generational sin. If you read the book of Deuteronomy and you read the book of Numbers, and right before uh, the beginning of the Ten Commandments, the Bible says that the sin of a father that hates God, his sin, and it could be a mother, it could be a mother, same deal, the sin of a father that hates God, that his sin uh, can go on to the third and even the fourth generation, God says, of them who hate me. My grandfather was in the penitentiary, died an alcoholic. My, my dad was in the penitentiary at Walla Walla, Washington, died an alcoholic. Now, drinking was free in our house because we owned five liquor stores. My grandmother owned the same nightclub for 21 years, okay? And she was married five times, so one for each liquor store. You know, and uh, my grandma was the matriarch. She was the woman with the purse strings. And, and my dad had two airplanes. He was a pilot. We had a Piper Cub. We had a Cessna. And as a little boy, I got to fly with my dad. And he was usually drinking when he was flying. Uh, grandma uh, didn't drink. She's the only one that didn't drink. But alcohol uh, took just about everybody else's life, okay? And we made our money off other people's misery, all right? A lot of money to be made in the alcohol business. But soon thereafter, alcohol took it all. My mom and dad ran my grandmother's businesses and, and finally ran it into the ground. And I remember one time my dad took $35,000 out of the bank. This was the, this was the 1950s. $35,000 was a, was a chunk of money. Made a bad business deal, lost it, and he started drinking more. And pretty soon, Grandma retired and sold everything. And my mom and dad used up her money. And uh, we found ourselves in, on welfare from uh, go, living in northern Wisconsin. Uh, my mom and dad were on welfare in Minneapolis, Minnesota. But I was in reform school at that time. I'd stabbed a kid. And uh, in school in the 1950s, and little, all little boys carried knives to school back then. All little boys. And uh, no big deal. You can't do that today, can you? Nope. They shoot you today, all right, in school, all right? And uh, they put me in the mental institution, diagnostic evaluation. What's wrong with, a, with a, a little 11-year-old boy that would stab another boy in the neck? And... Uh, they put me in jail waiting for a place to open up in Grantsburg, Wisconsin. Then they moved me to Bloomer, Wisconsin. And their claim to fame, they had, a, they had a big billboard on each end of town with a pair of pink bloomers. Welcome to Bloomer, Wisconsin. I'd have moved. <laughs> that was their claim to fame, man. Pink bloomers. And uh, I'd have moved to the next town, I think. And... Uh, Sat there for about 30 days, and a place opened up in the mental institution, diagnostic, Wisconsin Diagnostic Center, Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, six weeks of uh, diagnostic evaluation. What's wrong with this kid acting out the way he's acting out? And uh, uh, I escaped. I ran away. The, the Madison uh, police found me and brought me back. I had flaming red hair, so it was, I got busted a lot. You know, there, there he is right there. And... Uh, they recommended the Wisconsin State Reformatory. And off I went to the Wisconsin State Reformatory for boys. And, and the, Now listen to this. The average stay was five to six months. If you didn't put a tattoo on you, if you got good grades in school, if you behaved yourself, you could go home in about six months. I stayed two years. Because I was a rebel. I, I was raised as a rebel. Okay? Uh, my dad always packed a pistol. My dad was mean. My dad was a bouncer in his own bars. My mother taught me to cuss, uh, you know, and it was, that was my life, you know. And, but about after two years, I said, oh, wait a minute. There's something wrong with this 
picture. So I started getting good grades in school and, and uh, yes sir, no sir to the man. And finally made parole. They put me on a train to Minneapolis. My dad met me at the train station. He was drunk. Welcome home, son. Now I'm in a big city. Now I'm not a small town Wisconsin kid. I'm in, the, I'm in Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota, combined about a million people, okay? One juvenile judge. I knew him well. He had a handlebar mustache. White. Judge Bergen got me 24 times. Between the ages of 15 and 18, I did two and a half years in the Hennepin County Jail. I was a street kid in a big city. Purse snatching, strong arm robberies, stolen cars over and over again. When I'm 19, I'm in a Mexican prison in Chihuahua, Mexico. Interstate and international transportation of stolen vehicles. I was in the chop shop business, stolen car business early on, and that provided money for drugs and alcohol and guns and just stupid living, okay? I've often thought about doing a bumper sticker. You can go to your local university and get some more knowledge, but only Jesus can fix stupid, okay? And, uh, uh, but by the time I'm 19, I had an addiction that you don't want on your life, and some of you have been there. You don't want the addiction that I had, and it wasn't drugs, and it wasn't alcohol, and alcohol, by the way, is a drug. All right, beverages such as beer, wine, whiskey, ale, gin, and vodka contain ethyl alcohol, and ethyl alcohol is a habit-forming drug, okay? And, um, but I, I had a habit that was none of those things. You know what my habit was? It'll bury you. I was institutionalized. You see, when they put cuffs on me and chains on my, my ankles, I was, going, I was going home. I did great in jail. Man, you had rules and regulations. I did good in jail. I'd sigh a sigh of relief when they'd throw me in the back seat of a squad car. And usually I was beat up pretty bad, bloody, because the first thing I'd do, man, I'd punch a cop, man. I'd kick him, I'd spit on him, man, because it was the cops and robbers, okay? Man, if you had a badge, you were my enemy. That was the way it was. And uh, then when I started going to prison, I'm going home. That's my house. That's where I live. Institutionalization. Wow. Did four months in the Chihuahua State Prison outside of Juarez. And uh, I'm a pretty violent guy back then, okay? Uh, messed up pretty bad. Uh, picked up a four-year federal sentence. Got a brand new name, 33476-115. I know that number like you guys know your service number if you were in the service. Uh, got out, did my time, got out, picked up a 10-year sentence. So what? I'm going to my house. It's where I live. Been living there since I was 11 years old. Institutionalized. Three hots and a cot. Wow. How sad. But you know what? Let's turn it around a little bit. The real bars are those invisible bars that are right here this morning. Some of you are institutionalized inside these four walls. Wow. Huh? Wow. I've been in a lot of churches where above the door you, you are now entering the mission field. And some of you never go there because you've been institutionalized. Wow. Man, you jump and shout and holler and praise God in, in here, but nothing wrong with that. Praise God for it, but do it out there. Do it out there also. Well, we rioted in our prison. We had a warden that hated us, okay? And this is where the story changes. We had a warden that hated us. He never came out in the yard unless he had two great big uh, federal lieutenants with him for bodyguards because he was afraid of us, young institution. And uh, we rioted, and, and twice we rioted. But one riot was not a race riot. It was all the races together against the institution. We did about $45,000 worth of damage to our prison in about a little over an hour. Fires were set. Windows were broken. Uh, and it was good cop, bad cop. The, the, the bad cops got hurt. 
the, the cops that had an attitude towards us that never treated us right, uh, three of them got medical retirements because they got, they got beat so bad. And, but the, the correctional officers that always treated us and respected us were put in a corner somewhere and, and protected by the inmates so nobody could get to them. And the, the Army came in, the Highway Patrol came in, took the prison back. We were locked down a, a couple of weeks, and, and then they let us out to rebuild the prison and, and fix stuff. And, and they shipped that warden out because he could not control us. But they had a warden in the federal system. Uh, and he already he'd been a, he'd been in the federal system uh, for 35 years, and wherever he went to be uh, a warden, and he went to Alderson where Phyllis was. Uh, but wherever there was a, a, a problem in in an institution, they would send Noah Aldridge. He had a good first name, Noah. And they would send Noah Aldridge because whenever he went to a prison, it began to calm down. I wonder why. Well, you all know why. And uh, Noah, when he came, Noah Aldridge came to our prison. He was packing the word, the sword, man. And he made sure 1,200 inmates heard about Jesus almost every day of the week. He was a Presbyterian. <laughs> can they be saved? I guess they can. He loved Jesus, and you know what? He loved us. And he knew there was no rehabilitation without redemption. No reform without rebirth. He had it right. He had it right. And he began to witness. And he had no bodyguards with him. He was out in the yard every day. And I remember the day I met him. Hey, young man, come here. I'm, you know, about 24 years old at the time. And he said, what's your name? I said, Richard. He said, where are you from? I said, well, northern Wisconsin and Minneapolis, Minnesota. He said, you have family? I said, well, everybody's gone except my mom and grandma. They're still alive, but everybody else is gone. And uh, do you uh, write to them? Do you, I said, well, my mom and I, we, we're, we're not close. And I haven't heard from my mom in probably seven, eight years. And, uh, but my grandma writes me every, praise God for grandmas. Uh, there's a lot of grandmas and grandpas today raising their grandchildren and even raising their great grandchildren today because a lot of the kids are out there messed up man they can't they can't be parents wow but I said I I write my grandma back she, my grandma would send me a few shekels every about five dollars a month she she lived on a fixed income but she always sent me about five dollars a month and for commissary and stuff and he said you know you ought to try and rebuild a relationship with your mom and I said well, yeah we'll see and uh but we're not close and uh, he said, well, listen, I love you and I care. Now, this is a warden telling an inmate he loves him. That doesn't happen very often. I, I, man, I love you and I care about you. I got a God who loves you and his name is Jesus Christ. I'd love to see you in church. He said, my wife and I and three children, uh, we, uh, uh, we come to uh, uh, inmate church, and once in a while I bring my grandchildren in, and uh, but they come to they come to inmate church, and then second service we go into town to the Presbyterian church, and I'd like for you to be my guest, sit with my family. And I'm thinking I ain't sitting with the warden and his family. Yeah, that's a snitch rap, buddy. You get killed over that. I said, well, I've never been to church in my life, and I don't plan on starting now. Thank you, but no thank you. And I had been baptized. Uh, my mother had several stillborn children, and she was a Rosie the Riveter. My dad was fighting the Japanese in uh, 1944, and uh, uh, my mom was a real Rosie. Uh, she could have been the poster woman, beautiful red-headed lady. And <clears throat> I was born in Vancouver, Washington, and uh, they said I'd probably be born alive but uh, would die soon. So my mom had the Irish Catholic priest there. Boom, man, I got, I got wet. I just came through the birth canal. I was already wet. But they got me with some holy water, and I became a baptized Irish Catholic. Okay? Now, we were a religious family. Uh, remember, my grandma had five husbands. I was a pretty fortunate little boy. Uh, my dad was the only child. I was the only child. Man, I had a bunch of grandpas. Now, I, did, I only knew the last two. Okay? And... Uh, uh, she divorced Fred because she was having an affair with Jim. <laughs> now, 
then felt sorry for Fred and built another room on the house to bring her ex-husband back in to care for him. That ain't right. That ain't right. And, uh, but we were, we were Irish Catholic, German Lutheran, uh, Greek Orthodox. You see, we had a boatload of religion. But God has not called you and I to religion. He's called us to a relationship with Jesus Christ, okay? Religion is the enemy of the cross. It's the enemy of Jesus. See, we were all religious, but no relationship. One Bible is all I ever saw on the coffee table at Grandma's house, and that was the big Bible because it recorded the births and the deaths and the marriages and all of that stuff, and that's how we kept records, you know, way back then, pre-computer, all right? And, um, uh, and my last two grandpas, they were really neat guys, and I had my own twenty-two rifle when I was seven years old, and they'd take me squirrel hunting and deer hunting. They were neat guys, but never told me about Jesus. You see, the mental institution never told me about Jesus. You see, reform school never told me about Jesus. All those years in the county jail, Hennepin County Jail, I did two and a half years in the Hennepin County Jail. I didn't hear about Jesus, okay? If, I, if it was spoke to me, Satan had blocked my, my ears and, from hearing. And um, federal prison the first time, went back the second time, and a, a warden shares Jesus with me. Well, he was having a big one-day meeting, tw- 8 in the morning till 8 at night, 12 hours. And uh, I'm eating breakfast, and here comes a bunch of Christians, 40 of them, carrying their Bibles for the warden's one-day revival meeting. And wow, uh, they, I had two chairs at my table. Wouldn't you know what? They were? My buddies were there with me, and they came over and said, do you mind if we sit down? You know, new face. Prison is so boring. The same old, same old, same old all the time. So here's a new conversation. And uh, hey, guys, we love you. We care about you. We love you. See, the name of Jesus didn't get to me right away. But that word love did because I didn't love anybody. I loved my grandma. I didn't love myself. I'd look in my stainless steel mirror in cell block six, and I knew I was a broken man, a loser. I knew that. But I couldn't change, okay? Couldn't change. And... uh, Guys, we love you. We're here for the Warden's One Day Revival meeting, and, and we introduced ourselves. They said, do you mind if we pray over the food? I said, you better. You better pray that God kills it before it kills you. Because, man, it's some nasty stuff. And uh, they just made friends. And I thought, you know, they've got something I don't have. I don't have. You know, they're, they're telling us they love us, and I'm an unlovable guy, and and I think I'll go to church. Went to church for the first time in my life, okay? All right? And uh, it's going to stay an hour because I was a baseball player and a weightlifter back then, about 218 pounds. And, and the reason I, I, I got big and lifted heavy weights was intimidation. When I got out, you know, you better do what I tell you to do, you know? And uh, everything was wrong. And I went to church, and, well, I didn't stay an hour. <laughs> I stayed 12. Eight in the morning till eight at night. That's when the hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit, came after me. And the singers sang about Jesus. Uh, they, got, they brought two ex-cons that were in the prison ministry from Lansing, Kansas. Uh, one did 18 years for murder, uh, and, and his uh, black man, his name was Benjamin Franklin. His mama wanted him to remember who he was, and he'd murdered somebody, and uh, he got 18 years. Another man, a white man, uh, S.R. Hutchison, uh, he did 10, but Ben led him to the Lord after Ben got saved, and they were just reaching everybody in Lansing uh, for Jesus and finally made parole and, and, and now they're in the prison ministry and they shared how Jesus set them free. Not out the front gate, but set them free on the inside. You know, Jesus came to set the captives free. Whomsoever the sun sets free is free what? Free indeed. The same goes for you if you're institutionalized. He'll set you free. A lot of Christians carry a lot of unnecessary baggage. And it weighs you down, and you can't go anywhere, you can't do anything, you can't say anything, because you're messed up behind those invisible bars. And uh, 
About three that afternoon, I started crying. Alligator, and I was a non-crier. Man, I would punch cops, and I'd spit on them, and I'd ca- I was going to get my licks in. No cameras back then, praise God, or I'd be on live TV all the time. And, uh, uh, but I, I'd get my licks in. They'd beat me half to death, and it wasn't police brutality. I started it. They finished it. And they break my elbow and, and break my jaw, break my nose. When I had a long ponytail years ago when I met Phyllis and went to the barber, and I said, man, let's cut my hair off and let's send it to Locks of Love so maybe some little girl with cancer can get a wig. And uh, when the barber got down on the top of him, I said, I want a flat top, you know, like a cop haircut. And he's getting down there, and he said, my God, man, what happened to the top of your head? I said, that's from the war. And he said, Vietnam? And I was plenty old enough for Vietnam. And uh, I said, no, that's the war with the Minneapolis Police Department. I'm a slow learner. I mean, man, some severe scars up there, bad. And uh, I started crying. You couldn't make me cry other than that, but I'd spit blood on the policeman. I believe I'm one of the reasons they put plexiglass between the front seat and the back seat, because I could spit through that screen. And then, this is back in the elevator days. Anybody kind of remember what happened when you got, went to the elevator and they didn't like you? Buddy, they got you in the elevator. And you're bleeding. Oh, the poor boy fell down and hurt himself. And uh, I started crying. Boy, God was all over me. And they gave an invitation. And they said, if you got health issues, we'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. We'll show you scripturally answers, you know, uh, to your questions. Uh, you got problems at home, we'll pray about kids. You know, kids that your you know, wife is raising or grandma is raising, we'll, we'll pray about family because God can reconstruct that whole thing. He, he rebuilds relationships. And if you need to know Jesus as your Savior, we want to scripturally show you what it means to be saved, and it's not hard. And I'm way back there, 160 inmates, were there for the whole program. I'm the first one out. I couldn't sit there anymore. The two guys that were at my breakfast table were right here. And man, so I knew them. And they remembered my name. And I, they came, I came and I, they said, Richard, what do you want? I said, man, I, I'm not sure, man. I, I, I don't know, but I'm a, I'm a broken man and nobody can fix me. I can't fix myself. And, but I hear Jesus fixes broken people, that He came and died, rose from the grave to live in our lives, and fix broken people, broken by sin. And I, I, I've never experienced anything like this before. But I guess I want to know Jesus as my Savior. And one of the men opened up his Bible to John 3.16. I'd never heard it. And he read it like this. And boy, I've used it thousands of times. For God so loved Richard. He took the word world out. You know, and they didn't know my background. I had a belief system. I knew there was a God somewhere out there in the universe that did all this. I, I, wasn't a, I knew I wasn't a product of evolution. There's a God. But my concept of God was He doesn't like me. God loves good people. Now the problem with that is there are none. <laughs> there ain't none. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And uh, uh, for God so loved Richard, that, that told me something. God's not mad at me. The world, yes, but you personally, Richard. For God so loved Richard that he gave his only begotten son that if Richard would believe in him, Richard would not perish, but Richard would have everlasting life. And then they took me down that famous Roman road. That's a good road. Doesn't have any chug holes. Doesn't have any cracks, huh? Man, our, our highway system's in trouble. Because I go all over the United States, you know, in my truck. And, uh, uh, buddy, our roads are messed up. But the Roman road's a good road, man. And Romans 3.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 6.23, Romans 10.9 through 13. I'm still crying. Richard, what would you like to do? I said, I want to give my life to Jesus. They laid hands on me and prayed for me and... I just prayed a simple prayer. You see, it's not the words that you say so much. See, it's what's in your heart, what God is doing right here. And for me, it wasn't up here. 
And the words came out, God, I'm a broken guy, but I understand you came to fix broken people. And God, if you can fix me, Jesus, come into my life. And if you can fix me, and this book is real, and you're really real, and I'll serve you the rest of my life. Well, got saved that day because I meant business with God, okay? And I remember I did a couple more years, but we had a born-again Lutheran chaplain, a born-again Methodist chaplain, and they loved us, and they took care of us, they discipled us, and I got my first Bible. Forty of us came to Christ that day, 40 of us. And there were a lot of other decisions going on at the altar that day with the Christian inmates. And you take 40 brand-new baby Christians and turn them loose in a penitentiary? Oh, we didn't know not to... You know, shut our mouths, man. You, you sh- no, man, we're telling everybody about Jesus. Next few years, we had revival in our prison. You added 40 brand new baby Christians to all the Christians that were already there. About a third of the institution had professed Christ under this warden. And uh, man, revival broke out. Chapel was full, had two morning services. It was awesome. And uh, man, I did all the Bible study courses. And, and I remember the parole judge came. And a lot of times they have a panel of judges. Back then in the system, they had one parole judge. He was about six foot six, a black guy, uh, well-dressed, you know, alligator attache case. And, and uh, a very impressive man. And uh, Mr. Koss uh, uh, are you Richard David Cost, 33476-115? Yes, sir. Why sh- can you give me a good reason why I should grant you uh, parole? Yeah. I said, listen, man, no disrespect, but you're not in charge of my parole. When God wants me out of here, He will spring me. My parole's on a shelf, and I don't think you've got a whole lot of say in the matter, because when God wants me out of here, I'm out of here. Until then, this is my mission field. And it was. Man, I was serving God and witnessing and sharing. And God was rearranging and changing my life by the minute, man, things were happening. And uh, finally, after a couple of years, uh, uh, made parole and got out. And, and wow, man, life is good. Life is good. Went through a horrible, horrible divorce after 15 years. But I got my kids and got custody of my kids in, in court. And then I met Phyllis. She had two girls. I had a, a boy and a girl, and, and we became a blended family. And, and then the worst day of our lives was April 19th, 1995. And most of you know what happened that day. The Oklahoma City Murrah Building was bombed. Uh, my red-headed daughters, little babies, my grandchildren were in the day nursery. America's Kids Day Nursery. And, and uh, two black ladies ran that. And inside a federal building, and they gave those little kids Jesus. They came home with Jesus songs and scripture verses in a federal building. Yeah, you can get away with stuff like that, you know. And uh, when God tells you to do something, just do it, okay? Just do it. And when that truck bomb exploded, when Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols exploded that truck bomb, 168 people died instantly. 19 of them were little children, innocent little children. I'm preaching in Topeka, Kansas. Phyllis is in Pensacola, Florida. My son called me. He's a cop. He said, Daddy, I'm a rescue worker. You got to get home. I've already found one of my nephews. Now, here's what he said. Daddy, if you want to know anything about the Marine Corps, I did two years, two tours in Afghanistan, and Daddy, uh, I'll answer any question you've got about the Marine Corps and my deployment there, but don't ever ask me what I saw as a rescue worker in the rubble of the Oklahoma City Murrah Federal Building, and I respected that. 25 years. We're coming on the 25th anniversary. And uh, I can't go every it, it, you know. Whenever I'm at a mall or somewhere and I see a lady with two little blonde-headed boys, ours were two and three. Man, whew, I want to go to that woman and shake her. And I'll say, you better love your kids. They, 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 and you better give them Jesus. They're not always going to be here. Man, they were neat little guys. That's the worst day of our lives. Man, I, I beat it 110, 115 miles an hour on I-35, man. Uh, and policemen were passing me, coming from everywhere. Ambulances, man, I was passing ambulances, fire trucks. Everybody was going to Oklahoma City. And uh, I got to Oklahoma City, and I, my daughter wasn't going to leave until 
uh, her babies were found. And she stayed there for hours and hours and hours. And my son found one of his own nephews. He said, Daddy, I've already found uh, Chase. Wow. And I'm crying. I'm a crier today. And I, 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 my daughter said, Daddy, why are you crying? I said, what do you mean, why am I crying? She said, Daddy, you've got to look at it a little differently. My boys are safe. My boys are dancing before the Lord. Daddy, they'll never, they'll never be drug addicts. They'll never be alcoholics. Daddy, they'll never be molested. Daddy, you'll never have to visit your grandsons in jail or prison because they're safe with Jesus. She was right. And at that moment, I know I raised my children right, okay? And um, uh, then she asked me to do the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Daddy, you're, you're a Baptist preacher. Daddy, you, you, you've got to do the memorial. Man, I started crying. I went in her bedroom, knelt at the bed. I said, God, I can't. I can't. I can't. There's no way I can do this. I can't. Then, you know, that's still a small voice. You hear it all the time. And all of you do. And if you're listening, okay, and uh, uh, you obey your daughter. You do what your daughter said. And when you're weak, I'm strong, okay? Uh, you trust me, we'll get the job done. And that was tough. Uh, those two little boys were into that stupid purple dinosaur. Barney. Remember Barney? Well, when the Barney Corporation heard about this, Guess who came? There's 5,000 people. Everybody's going to everybody's funerals. There was over 5,000 at ours. Barney came, full costume with all the balloons and all the stuff. And then to make it a little bit worse when it comes to crying, she took two little boys that lived together and slept together and went to day nursery together and died together. She found an oversized children's casket. And put both little boys together. And a friend of mine, uh, maybe someday we can get him here. He used to open for the Allman Brothers and Three Dog Night and played music with Charlie Daniels. And he was a uh, he had a five year contract with the Kansas City Metropolitan Opera, an old heroin addict. <laughs> Got saved years ago, and he's pastor today. Yeah, God can take you from the guttermost to the outermost, man. And uh, awesome voice, and he plays two keyboards at the same time. He came and did children's music. Man, I lost it, but God promised me to dry my eyes for the memorial, and uh, God did. And we, got, we had people come to Christ. See, the Bible says, let the dead bury the dead. You know what that tells me, preacher? Preach Jesus to those who are still alive. Because there's a lot of lying goes on at funerals. Oh, she was a good old gal. No, she was a reprobate. (laughs) Well, he was a good old boy. That's all you hear at funerals. Oh, how good they were. You're a dirty, rotten, stinking, filthy sinner that needs Jesus. And I don't get the... I I, I love to do the good memorials. But I I get the heroin overdoses. I get the guy shot with a 30-30 rifle, burglarizing a house... Richard, my son loved you. Would, would you. would you do the memorial service? Wow, they're tough. You know, didn't know Jesus. Busted hell wide open. So you preach Jesus to those that are alive. We got back with our family, ministering, ministering, ministering. Then it was time. Uh, forensic took several weeks, so they couldn't bear anybody. They had to make sure they had the right person. And... Uh, After a certain amount of time, we had to get back to some kind of normalcy. Phyllis flew back to Alabama, and I got on the road. And a couple months later, I'm in the Quad Cities in, uh, in Iowa and that area. And I got a prison on Saturday and a church on Sunday. And I'm watching TV in my motel room. And there's Timothy McVeigh, the bomber, going to court, and he's laughing kind of cutting up. I said, buddy, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And for eight months, I said, God, back off. Vengeance is Richard's, thus saith the Lord. The old man came back to life. Yeah, that old man that was dead and buried, 
once raised to walk in the newness of life and under the mastery and teaching of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Woo, brand new life, huh? But the old man came up. I'm going to get you, boy. I'm going to get you. And I had a plan. I'll get me a cop uniform. I've got a pardon from the President of the United States, Gerald Ford, so I can own guns, and I do, okay? All my rights to me have been restored, all right? And uh, so I've got a 45, and I'll get me a cop uniform, a cop badge, and I already had that flat top haircut, you know, cop haircut. And I'll just slip in with the cops when they're taking them from the courthouse uh, back to the federal uh, uh, jail. And, and I'll say, hey, man, you know, I'll be a cop. And I'll slip in there. When I get an opportunity, boom, got you, man. Vengeance is Richard's. It doesn't work. <laughs> Harboring resentment, hatred unforgiveness towards someone I did for eight months and I was sick Phyllis took care of me I was vomiting losing weight it just doesn't pay to get backslidden for very long okay and after eight months God let me have my little pity party and then he said son are you sick and tired of being sick and tired I was ready to come back yes sir he said repent I did and my sickness went away immediately and then after about three weeks, he said, I want you to forgive Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols. I said, God, you're carrying this thing a little too far, buddy. But I knew he was right because I know about forgiveness, see. I know what the book says. And I, I had to walk through it for several weeks, but it came. And then he said, pray for the, those two boys. And I started praying for their salvation. One died without Jesus. The other one's been saved. He's in solitary confinement in a level six underground federal prison, a prison I go to, but they won't let me go to that part because I'm a security risk to the devil. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I get to go to that prison, do minimum security and uh, medium and, and uh, maximum, but I can't go to super max because that's where Terry Nichols is. But years ago, uh, uh, he gave his life to Jesus. A chaplain led him to Christ. We got a letter. Our family got a letter. Please forgive me for what I've done. I've asked Jesus into my heart with the help of a chaplain, and, and I, 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 I'm writing letters to the family. So he, he wasn't there, but he mixed the bomb. He knew how to make the bomb, the fertilizer bomb. And, and I'm okay with that. You say, oh, Richard, you mean you're going to be in heaven with one of the men that killed your grandchildren? Well, you know what? Our ways aren't his ways. And his ways aren't our ways. And I'm okay with that. Because here's what, when I bucked against God, I said, what do you mean forgive him? God, God revealed to me, do you remember how you were when I found you? Oh, I was anti-IRS, anti-government, anti-police. And God protected me. I could have been an Aryan Brotherhood dude, man. I could have been a neo-Nazi if the right people would have come along. Man, you're, you're a bad dude, and you pack guns, and, and you're violent. We, we want you on our... If they'd have shown some love, oh, yeah, I, I kind of went where the love was. But, see, God protected me from that. He sees the... How many of you here today, and I'll probably get a few hands, you ought to be dead, you shouldn't be here. Oh, do you know why you're here? God's not through with you yet. Huh? He's not through with you yet. Wow. God sees the end result. He's got that all-seeing eye, okay? Let's get back to institutionalization. Jesus came to set us free. And I know a lot of church folks that need to be set free. I know a lot of church folks that got a boatload of religion going to hell. When I led my, mom, my, my grandma to Christ as soon as I got out of prison. She was easy. But I said, Grandma, are you a real Christian? Now listen to what she said. This might be your testimony. She said, no, son, I've just been a baptized Lutheran for 69 years. Can you imagine being a baptized Lutheran for 69 years? You die and go to hell. She said, I don't know Jesus. The Lutherans taught me uh, to be baptized. I was baptized, confirmation, but they never told me I needed that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Grandma was, I let her to the Lord right away. She got saved, okay? My mother, 14 years, all right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. I prayed for her 14 years, and I had to endure. And I know he heard my first prayer, but I endured for seven years. My mother was a Vatican I Catholic alcoholic, and her priest was no help because he was a drunk. Now, I think I've told you this before. Anybody remember what my mother's priest's name was by chance? I'd have got a name change. His name was Father Sin. Two N's. 
Man, I'd have changed that right away. I don't want the courthouse. I've been thinking about a, a name change anyway. I, I don't like Richard Costs a whole lot, okay? I, I, I'm going to go to the courthouse. I like um, uh, maybe change it to uh, Lee. I like Lee as the first name. And how about Love as the last name? Lee Love. You could call me Brother Lee Love. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> wow. I, my mother, uh, I prayed for my mom 14 years. And at seven years, seven years, that's a special number. I'm praying. My mom fell down, broke her hip, fell down, broke her elbow. And I'm praying, come on, God, where are you? My mom was going to die, go to hell. I want to see my mom in heaven. And then that still small voice came and said, hey, I died for your mother. You didn't. I want your mother in heaven more than you do. Now quit praying and start trusting me for her. Faith it, faith it, faith it. The next seven years, I'd get cussed out by my mom. Boy, she didn't want to hear about Jesus. She'd cuss me. And um, boy, it'd just break my heart. But I said, okay, God, thank you. I'll see her in heaven. Thank you, God. You're going to do it. Thank you. And at the end of the 14 years, my mother gave her life to Jesus. And then we had seven years as mother and son, brother and sister. We had a great time. The only time we'd ever been close, last seven years of her life. But I remember uh, she passed, and I was doing the funeral, and Father Sin came. He said, well, um, Richard, I'm sure you want me to do your mother's funeral. And I said, no, you sit down and shut up, and you listen to what I've got to say, buddy. Oh, well, can I read a poem? No. Can I say a script? No. Sit there and listen to what I've got to say. My mother stayed in the Catholic Church and witnessed to her Catholic friends. Wow. God is so good. Now, when Gerald Ford gave me that pardon, a transaction had to be made. There was a piece of paper signed by the president and signed by a Jew, Attorney General Levi, if you'll remember at the time. And there it was, signed, sealed, and being delivered But it wasn't mine yet. I could have said, Gerald Ford, I don't like you. You're a bummer of a president. I don't want that old stupid pardon. I'd have been a fool. It wasn't mine, and it's right there. But when I reached out and took it, it became mine. It's the same with King Jesus. A pardon from the king. It's 2,000 years old, folks. Wow, and it's got a Jew's signature on it. Jesus Christ. Woohoo! Wow. All of my rights were restored in the United States of America that I lost through criminal activity. Wow. All of our rights are now restored in the second Adam. Jesus, okay? Everything's restored, man. We're heaven bound. Sin's forgiven and forgotten, but the transaction has to be made. Where are you at today? You know, when I'd punch cops and spit on them, and then they'd start beating on me, three or four of them, when I knew I was going to get hurt really bad, okay, man, I I surrender. I surrender. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, depending on the police officer. You know what some of you need to do? Surrender. You know, we sing a song. I surrender all. What do you need to do today? What do you need to do today? Huh? Are you born again? Get out of religion. Get into a relationship with Jesus. If you're here today, surrender. Here, my God. I surrender everything. I meet myself, my family, everything. God, I surrender to Jesus today. You need to do that for it's everlastingly too late. And for Christians, get out of the institutionalization garbage. Uh, get out there and go to work. We've we got a dying, lost, hell-bound world. And if some of you would go to work, I wouldn't have to work so hard. You wouldn't have to work so hard. Okay? Wow. Where are you at today? Let's pray. Father God, this is the day that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Your joy is the Christian strength. That's what you tell us in your word. Your joy is our strength. And and Satan, you've ripped off some joy from a lot of folks here this morning. And they're struggling. And God, today could be a day of restoration and joy. That you would restore the joy of their salvation in Jesus. God, there's people hurting. We live in a suicidal community today. God, give people strength to go from the guttermost to the uttermost. 
overcomers from tragedy to triumph today. Fill us up with your Holy Spirit that will spill over on other people. And they'll be with us for a moment and say, man, what do you got? What are you on? What, what's going on? Man, you seem to have something really cool. It's Jesus. Jesus Christ is my Savior. Maybe some of you have been called to the ministry. Uh-oh. No, God, not me, not me, not me, not me. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Here am I, God, send me. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Wow. Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked man, it could be a woman, but let the wicked man forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord, for the Lord will abundantly pardon. Wow. What do you need in your life? You have not because you ask not. This is a morning of asking God to do something in your life. You need salvation? Surrender. Repent. It's pretty simple. God has not made this thing hard, folks. Now, there's a lot of denominational people, a lot of churches. Man, you've got to jump through a bunch of hoops to get saved, but not here. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. God, visit us today. Satan, we step on your neck. You're a defeated foe. I pray every nook and cranny and corner of this building permeated with the Holy Ghost. And Satan, you're gone, dude. You're out of here with your henchmen, with your demons, with your crew. You're out. I plead the blood in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. What do you need? You have not because you ask not. What do you need? It's pretty simple. What do you need in your marriage? What do you need in your life? What do you need for your kids? You know, if Jesus tarries, you and I have made it. You and I have made it, but what about our kids? What about our grandkids? If Jesus tarries, what about our great-grandkids? Buddy, they got hell to face. Man, we better give our, our kids and our grandkids and our great, and Phyllis and I got great grandkids. Uh, we better give them Jesus. Or there's going to be hell to pay. Wow. What do you need? Come on. The altar's open. God's available. He's never not available. What do you need? You need Jesus? Trust Him today. Come on.